your problems on the head. Uh, this is a principle that I've been working on, I've been learning about, and that I've been trying to put into practice. But the the, ter- the term, the topic comes from this book called There's No Such Thing as a Dragon. Uh, if you are familiar with Jordan Peterson, you know why this is important to him. But it's about three sixteenths of an inch thick. It's a children's book level two, which is the ones that are illustrated and written like you read it to a kid. Not even a big enough book for a kid to read on their own. Um, the fact that this is a children's book and not an adult book kind of ticks me off and I kind of wish there was an adult book for it, but the principle in the book is, and I'll read it later, a, a dragon is found under Billy Bixby's bed. He finds it, and it is, it's like a pet. It wants to be pat on the head, and he pats it, and it wags its tail, and he goes downstairs and tells his mother, you know, hey, there's a dragon in my room. She says, there's no such thing as a dragon, and she says it like she means it, and so... He said, well, I'm not going to pat it on the head anymore. And it grows. And it grows and grows until it literally wears the house like a shell and runs around with it um, until they pat it on the head again and it shrinks back down to size. And like I said, the fact that this is a children's book is a little bit hilarious because it's really a grown-up principle. The longer you neglect your problems, the larger they will grow, especially those that start out small. And if anybody has been married or has kids, you know this is true because you've had a problem or an annoyance and you've let it slide day after day after evening after incident. And then something, maybe even something completely unrelated, strikes that chord and boom, it blows up in your face or you blow up about it. When two weeks ago, three weeks ago, a month ago, you could have said, hey, I have this particular one specific problem. Let's pat it on the head. Now, patting your problems on the head isn't necessarily as easy as patting a puppy on the head, but um, there are some tricks that I've learned that I want to walk through and hopefully share with you uh, some good tactics and verbiage that you can use that I've learned, one, as a law enforcement officer, uh, going through a lot of self, really just putting myself through negotiation learnings, and then um, just things that I've seen in people um, and seen where these things work. So the first story I want to tell you is on November 2nd, maybe this date's it's November 6th, uh, 2019, I got a call to an apartment complex and there was a boyfriend-girlfriend dynamic and the girlfriend was abusing the boyfriend physically. And she was arrested and this this was literally all this dude had. He had no furniture in his apartment, not I mean not even like a skillet. No couches, no furniture and there was still the plastic on the carpet for where contractors can walk like it was brand new. So this guy has nothing. This girl is the only thing that means anything to him. And so a week later, I get a call, um, me and several other officers, that this young man is at his apartment. And uh, apparently, according to him, he is armed and he wants to kill himself. And so I had seen him seven days earlier, exactly a week. And I remembered him and he and I had kind of connected. And so... 
I went ahead and called him. I said, hey, I, I already know this guy. Let me call him and see if I can connect with him. I spent 17 minutes on the phone with a guy holding a shotgun to his head. And honestly, I was I'm very untrained for that moment. And it was the most stressed I've ever been. Uh, I've been in fights at work. I have seen terrible things. I have put myself through stupid situations. And this 17 minutes, just being on the phone, standing outside, I was shaking at the knees. And when the phone call was over, I could barely move. As I talked to this young man, he told me, you know, his, his parents had a falling out. His brother didn't really spend much time with him. Of course, his girlfriend, that relationship was terrible. Um, her parents weren't very helpful. And every kind of important relationship to him felt disconnected. And they weren't even necessarily the worst possible relationships you could have. Now, they, weren't, they were on the, the, the bad side. You know, it, drugs were involved, alcohol was involved in almost all of them. But even as far as relationships I've seen on duty, they weren't the worst. But this dude had zero connections with anyone. Zero emotional bond to anybody. And I spent time on the phone with him, and really all I did was listen to him. And I'll share a little bit of, I guess, behind the scenes that maybe my supervisors didn't even know, but anybody who listens to that recorded line would know I did this, but I told him, you know, you haven't done much to make it better. And I, I called him out and that was, now that I look back on it, I, I'm like, I wish I could slap myself in the face because I've, I called him out on not taking care of his issues. And I told him, he was somewhere in the area of 20 years old, very young, near teens, uh, maybe up to 25, but a very, very young man. And I said, you know, you are not even a fifth, maybe a fifth through your life. You know, if you get to 100, that's a one fifth of your life and you've already given up. And from what I know about great people is none of them are truly inspiring unless they've gone through something horrible in one way or another, however they define that. But you are just at the first chapter of what you're going through and you're already quitting. You, you haven't given it a fair enough shot. You haven't given it a college try to know if it's worth quitting right now. Now, you can, because if you want to, there is nothing I can do to stop you, but you can quit this life right now. And that was my spiel, and honestly, probably not a good way to go, uh, knowing what I know about negotiations now. But I said there, there's a hundred more relationships and connections you could make in your future that you have no idea are coming around your corner. So if you are banking on your relationship with mom or a girlfriend, brother, whoever, you haven't really given a fair enough sample group of people to know if there's people you will connect with. And I think just the doubt that, that and, and the maybe even hope, the doubt in that he was right and the hope that 
maybe he was wrong, he can connect to people or could find connection, was enough because he surrendered. Um, he came out, he had the shotgun, but he was surrendered. And it was at that moment, I said, I will never be unprepared for a negotiation again. I at least will have knowledge and skills to bring into something, especially if someone's life is on the line. So after that, I went, I go, I get books, I start reading, I get subscribed to newsletters from negotiation consulting companies, and I dug in big time into negotiation and into really, really dynamic conversation especially ones with high stakes. So I, I felt like negotiations was the place I needed to focus because that's it's always something is in the balance. And at that point, that man's life was in it. And to me, there's nothing uh, that's higher stake than a life. So if I could get practices down at that level, maybe they would trickle down into normal everyday life with my friends and family. And I was right. So I will point you towards a book that I read, but I will share with you a couple of the things that I've taken from it and applied in my marriage and in my daily life. And even that I did at work when I was a police officer and share with you those tactics that are there. And I say tactics, they're just words, honestly, and intent. So the book is Never Split the Difference by Chris Voss. And I won't go through the credentials of him or what the book is about. It's about negotiations. Never Split the Difference by Chris Voss. Read it or listen to it on audiobook, and it will absolutely change your life and the way that you speak. The biggest thing that I've learned as a man that is married from his book is called The Accusation Audit. He has a trademark on Accusation Audit. So big giant lawyers, if you hear this, uh, don't sue me, but the credit where it's due black Swan group is the group that Chris Voss runs. There is, you can get their newsletter. You can get books, um, tons of resources on communication, but they coined a term, the accusation audit. And it is where you approach a negotiation, any, um, initial meeting or a meeting where there's some history and the first thing that you say is all of the things that the other side, your counterpart, might bring against you. So for me, I don't like it when my wife leaves two or three coffee cups around the house. I think just use the same one for the whole day. I leave tools everywhere podcast stuff this stuff goes all over the place so I can say I know that I leave a lot of things around the house and that it probably feels like what I'm about to say is two-faced but I think it's a good time to open this conversation I don't like it when you leave coffee mugs around the house all day the wording is accusation against me as it relates to what I'm about to bring up. And it might seem hypocritical because what I'm saying also can be applied to me 
but not about mugs, just about other things. But I want to open that conversation. So the, that is the exact wording I would have used. And what that does is they say, yeah, you're right. You do that. You are kind of bringing something up that you do too. Okay, let's talk about it. And it, it immediately jumps from you accusing them or you being mad to collaboration. And now you're working together as a family. So that is the kick open the door of that conversation. If it's really big, well, it'll be a whole different conversation. It'll be a whole different. This could be said almost in passing what I just said. Big, big conversations, real problems that come up. Those are differently handled. But this one, it's very simple. You throw an accusations audit right before it and you just say what it's about and you offer that collaborative conversation. This is, of course, if you and your spouse are able to have collaborative conversations in the first place. If you're not, go f to therapy. You need to work on those things. But this is for people who can have that. Hugely important to me. Now, that being said, the accusations audit. Bringing that in and then patting your problems on the head. Find a problem that is small that you have right now. Think about it. I know you know of one. What's your problem? What's your thing that you're always ticked off about? Pat that on the head. Try it. And it doesn't, you don't have to smack it across the face. Pat it on the head. Honey, I have something I would like to talk about that might be uncomfortable. And I know it might sound hypocritical because I've been doing similar things. And I've noticed those things kind of irk you. But this is something I just, I think we should bring into the air and talk about right now. Um, it stresses me out when you leave coffee mugs around the house. Because I feel like there's easy ways around that. And I just want to open the conversation about maybe decluttering. That conversation starts already at a collaborative point. Instead of, why do you always leave these mugs everywhere? Or just cleaning them up and doing it disgruntled. Just, and putting them up. If you can catch yourself before you jump onto your spouse or you let a cutting word fly from your lips. Accuse yourself of something first because usually you have some contributing factor to what's going on. You cannot pat a problem on the head until you've admitted that there's probably some way that you're contributing to it, which is extreme ownership. Jocko Willink, extreme ownership, that is what he harps on. You are part of whatever problem you have. It's your fault. This has been a lot of information for adults. It's a great, great thing to get your children started on early. Because children will say things like, you'll say, honey, little Johnny. Man, there's, there's kids running around everywhere, I guess, in this building. You say, honey, little Johnny, 
go clean up your room. Why? Because I said so. Now, there could be two things. Either he really doesn't want to and he's just challenging you, or you haven't made it clear why we keep places clean. Now, if children have been taught how to bring up problems, hey, here's how you pat a problem on the head. They don't get an excuse, first of all, anymore. Now you know how to pat a problem on the head. This is what's expected. If you have an issue, here's the way to pat it on the head. If you don't and you are caught just making problems, there's trouble. And by the way, pat that on the head. But your children will be able to, hey, I know that I've been a little bit lax with my room, but I also uh, have failed at taking care of my bathroom or staying on top of my chores. But I just feel like maybe the standard that you hold my room to is a little bit too high because I feel like all I do is clean my room. Mom, dad, is there a way that we could talk about the standard my room is held to? Even if the standard is normal and fine and you are going to keep it there as the parent and say, no, this is where your standard is set. We're not moving it. At least your children are equipped to bring up their grievances maturely. So that when the grievance is, hey, I need to switch schools. Here's the reasons. Hey, I'm having trouble with my boyfriend, girlfriend. Or, hey, I, uh, I was introduced to drugs or alcohol. And I need help navigating those lands. Those problems become much, much larger very quick. If your kid is around 8, 9, 10 and up, they need to know how to pat problems on the head with you as their parent. Not just with their friends or in general. How do you engage? I'll read the book. So that you can see the context. This, this is hilarious. The dragon eats the boy's breakfast. It takes off with the house. The neighbors know where the house is and what's going on. The mailman knows, but they don't even realize it themselves. If you don't want to hear me read this book, this is your chance to bail on this podcast. Thanks for listening. I'm a home inspector. Everything I do is about making strong, healthy homes in the panhandle grow like weeds. If you like this podcast, follow it, subscribe to it. Go to Facebook, like Tumbleweed Home Inspections on Facebook. There's No Such Thing as a Dragon by Jack Kent. Billy Bigsby was rather surprised when he woke up one morning and found a dragon in his room. It was a small dragon, about the size of a kitten. The dragon wagged its tail happily when Billy patted its head. Billy went downstairs to tell his mother. There's no such thing as a dragon, said Billy's mother, and she said it like she meant it. Billy went back to his room and began to dress. The dragon came close to Billy and wagged its tail. But Billy didn't pat it. 
If there's no such thing as something, it's silly to pat it on the head. Billy washed his face and hands and went down to breakfast, and the dragon went along. It was bigger now, almost the size of a dog. Billy sat down at the table. The dragon sat down on the table. This sort of thing was not usually permitted, but there wasn't much Billy's mother could do about it. She had already said there was no such thing as a dragon, and if there's no such thing, you can't tell it to get down off the table. Mother made some pancakes for Billy, but the dragon ate them all. Mother made some more, but the dragon ate those too. Mother kept making pancakes until she ran out of batter. Billy only got one of them, but he said that was all he wanted really anyway. Billy went upstairs to brush his teeth, and Mother started clearing the table. The dragon, who was quite as big as Mother by this time, made himself comfortable on the hall rug and went to sleep. By the time Billy came back downstairs, the dragon had grown so much, he filled the hall. Billy had to go around by way of the living room to get where his mother was. I didn't know dragons grew so fast, said Billy. There's no such thing as a dragon, said Mother firmly. Cleaning the downstairs took Mother all morning, what with the dragon in the way, and having to climb in and out of windows to get from room to room. By noon, the dragon filled the house. Its head hung out the front door, its tail out the back door, and there wasn't a room in the house that didn't have some part of the dragon in it. This is a great part. In that, in that page, the neighbors are going by, and the baby, the neighbor's baby is looking at the house. Everyone's looking, going, this, the problem is spilling from their house. And everyone around them is looking on, like, what are they doing? When the dragon awoke from his nap, he was hungry. A bakery truck went by. The smell of fresh bread was more than the dragon could resist. The dragon ran down the street after the bakery truck. The house went along, of course, like a shell on a snail. The mailman was just coming up the path with some mail for the Bixby's when their house rushed past him and headed down the street. He chased the Bixby's house for a few blocks, but he couldn't catch it. When Mr. Bixby came home for lunch... The first thing he noticed was that the house was gone. Luckily, one of the neighbors was able to tell him which way it went. Mr. Bixby got in his car and went looking for the house. He studied all the houses as he drove along. Finally, he saw one that looked familiar. Billy and Miss Bixby were waving from an upstairs window. Mr. Bixby climbed over the dragon's head, onto the porch roof, and through the upstairs window. How did this happen, Mr. Bixby asked. It was the dragon, said Billy. There's no such thing, Mother started to say. There is a dragon, Billy insisted. A very big dragon. And Billy patted the dragon on the head. The dragon wagged its tail happily. Then, even faster than it had grown, the dragon started getting smaller. Soon... It was kitten size again. I don't mind dragons this size, said Mother. Why did it have to grow so big? I'm not sure, said Billy. But I think it just wanted to be noticed. The last page here is a picture of the dragon eating from a dog bowl that says dragon on it. 
just to show that just because you pet a problem doesn't mean it's going to go away. It just means it's manageable and at a size that can be dealt with. My wife still leaves mugs once in a while. But now that it's been pat, we can say, hey, I see one here. And now our new rule, I'll even share, our new rule is with things of that size, with problems of that size. So her her thing to me is uh, when I use the coffee pot, I won't clean it. Uh, And so... And then I also leave tools around. So I I use tools. I do home improvement projects frequently. And so those two things. So the rule is I cannot tell her, hey, you have a mug on the table. I would like you to pick it up. I can't say that until I've gone through the house and ensured that the things that I do that bother her are taken care of. But when I do that, then I can go address her. Or our other rule is you can say, hey, that mug just caught my attention. It's time for us all to go address the things that we we bother with. I need to go pick up tools. You go ahead and address the mug. That is our current rule of engagement for that particular problem. Um, and that has so far been really effective. Not only does it not hurt anyone's feelings, it makes us look at ourselves first and then it actually keeps the house a little bit cleaner because we're not afraid to bring up the mug, the tool, the laundry, the door cracked. We're not afraid to do that because we know there are rules of engagement that we have accepted and there's no anger. There's no animosity built up in addressing that problem now. It is just a solution to maintain a clean home. That has been really heavy on my heart, is patting problems on the head. I hope that it may help you. If you listened through the reading the book part, I appreciate it. This podcast is 100% about helping homes in not only Amarillo, but our little area. Because as a home inspector, when I meet people, like last week, the couple, they're moving to the country because they're they're trying to start a family where they can have room and space to teach them to have agriculture. They can have a ranch where they have different animals and show their kids how to live out there. That home, I want that home to succeed. I want them to succeed in that. So the home inspection doing a good job at that that's a given that is a that is the baseline where i start but that couple i really hope thrives i do it for people like them a lot of my clients are police and firefighters i want those homes to stay healthy and stay strong that's why i'm here recording a podcast i love it i'm excited If you have an idea for the podcast, want to hear something in particular, want to be on it. I got another microphone in the corner. You want to come visit. Let's do it. Let's make it happen.
episode's over. Now, if you made it all the way to the end of the episode, unfortunately, there is a hidden fee to this podcast. If you're listening right now, you now are charged to go home and love your family. Now, I say this because I truly believe that in order to change the world, it starts within the walls of our homes. And your family may be your neighbors. It may be the people you work with. I want you to start right now on a diligent path to make forward progress in your ability to express and receive love in your family. So, listeners, thank you so much for making it here. Go home, love your family.